0: Overdrive.
1: Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program where we occasionally include facts in our discussions about motoring and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have the latest car sales figures and a warning that pedestrian detection systems don't work when they're most needed. Our resident artist, Dean Oliver, discusses a one-day jaunt in a series of Jaguars. Rob Fraser gives some details on the launch of the new Audi Q3. And we have some quirky news with Brian Smith. You can get more information at drivenmedia.com.au. or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or you can go to our Facebook site, Overdrive City. But let's start the program first with the news. of vehicle sales figures in Australia for September have been released and the market continues to decline. For the month sales weakened by nearly 7% making a year-to-date figure down by nearly 8%. Of the top 10 best-selling vehicles in the month the top three were light commercial vehicles the Toyota Hilux, the Ford Ranger and the Mitsubishi Triton. Four of the remaining seven were SUVs, The Mitsubishi ASX, the Mazda CX-5, the Nissan X-Trail and the Mitsubishi Outlander. Only three of the top ten vehicles were passenger cars. The Hyundai i30, the Toyota Corolla and the Kia Cerato. While it's only one month's figures, the Mazda 3, once a top selling vehicle, has dropped out of the top ten. The passenger car market is in steep decline, but the Kia Cerato, with its 28.5% increase in September and significantly a 14% growth for the whole of the year, is a great achievement against a major trend. New research from the American Automobile Association reveals that automatic emergency braking systems with pedestrian detection perform inconsistently and prove to be completely ineffective at night. 75% of pedestrian fatalities in America occur after dark. The systems were also challenged by real-world situations like a vehicle turning into the path of a pedestrian. The AAA's testing found that in this simulated scenario, the systems did not react at all, colliding with the adult pedestrian target every time. There is no intent to remove these devices, but there is a need for continued development of pedestrian detection systems. This also raises issues of informing the public about variations in systems and their overall limitations. On average, nearly 6,000 pedestrians die on American roads each year, accounting for 16% of all traffic deaths, a percentage that has steadily grown since 2010. The independent non-profit organisation Consumer Reports has tested Tesla's recently launched Smart Summon feature on their Model 3 and found that the automation was glitchy and at times worked intermittently without a lot of obvious benefits for consumers. According to Consumer Reports, Tesla says that its Smart Summon is one of the first products in the suite of technologies it markets as full self-driving. The car maker activated the feature for car owners using an over-the-air update at the end of September. In online marketing material, Tesla says owners using a smartphone can summons their vehicles to come and pick them up in everyday situations, such as to avoid walking across a parking lot in the rain or with an armful of groceries. The Model 3 owner's manual contains numerous warnings of smart summons limitations including that it can't be used on public roads and can't detect all traffic or curb and gutters. Some owners on social media have reported minor fender benders while using the feature in parking lots and at low speeds. Car companies have recognised that the rough-and-tough motor vehicle image is becoming an important part of the ute market. Nissan up the ante in this regard with its just released Navara N-Trek Warrior. The initial focus was on lifting the front and rear suspension and including a larger diameter 32 inch all-terrain tyre for better off-road capabilities, including rougher terrain but they have also added many appearance features, the bling that is part of outdoor, adventurous fashion accessories. Nissan has also incorporated a built-for-local-conditions element as well. They hired 40 people with engineering and local manufacturing experience to work on the n Warrior and established a dedicated manufacturing facility in Melbourne's northern suburbs. The second-generation Audi Q3 small SUV has just been launched in Australia and in the nick of time for Audi. In 2018, it was Audi's third best-selling car, but so far this year, with a lack of supply, sales are down 88%. It has been seven years since the first Q3 was launched, which is a long run for any vehicle model. Most significantly, the new model is bigger including an increase of 77mm in the wheelbase and an increase of 70 litres in boot space. Audi claim it has more than $12,000 of additional equipment compared to its predecessor. It only comes in two-wheel drive at the moment. Along with many safety features, it has standard 18-inch alloy wheels, electric tailgate including gesture control, two-zone climate control and ambient interior LED lighting package. The base price is 46400 and the launch edition is 52750 plus on-road costs. And that has been the news. Like a lot of manufacturers, Nissan now has an extensive range of SUVs, some which have morphed from more rugged four-wheel drives in the past. Pathfinder is one such vehicle. David Brown looks to see if it has an identity crisis. The Nissan Pathfinder large SUV, first launched here in 1987, has varied over the years between being an off-roader and a soft-roader. The release of their fourth-generation model in 2013 went soft, but a few upgrades since then have made it better capable of coping with at least poorer quality roads. It has good space, with the third row of seats having both room and good accessibility. Thankfully, the 2019 upgrade now has has emergency braking, collision warning, blind spot warning and rear cross traffic alert as standard. It comes as a V6 petrol or a hybrid and a CVT gearbox that is surprisingly good, ranging from $46,400 to $66,400 plus on-road costs. It is currently being outsold by 16 other large SUVs, but I think it deserves better. You're listening to Overdrive. Overdrive's resident artist, Dean Oliver, and I went for a little joy ride the other day in a number of cars. We went with some Jaguar owners and some potential Jaguar owners on an event organised by Concord Jaguar and Land Rover to try and just show off some of the new Jaguar models that are now available. And Dean joins me on the line to talk about it. Dean, we went to Sublime Point. How appropriate was that?
2: Hello, David. Yes, a perfect name for a location to drive some really quite stunning cars. Sublime Point, sublime landscape views, looking out over the Illawarra and the escarpment. The the day was sunny and bright and the, the wildflowers were out. And the wild cars were out too.
1: I had a picture of an F-Type in front of the Sublime Point sign. I thought that may be appropriate. We started with the sports car, the F-Type. You're a tall lad. How well did you fit into it?
2: Yes, yeah, it's fairly tall, David. I struggled to get into the passenger seat. Maybe I didn't adjust the seat quite appropriately, and it was a bit of a squash. But once I settled into the driver's seat afterwards, which had been better adjusted yes it was uh, it was snug and cozy i had to look down a little bit to look out the side window but i suppose i'm taller than most people so uh, that's a little discomfort i was quite prepared to put up with to experience the f-type
1: six foot three you are in the old measure we had the v6 supercharged was that enough horsepower for you
2: it was quite enough thanks david particularly in uh, suburban traffic gaping sydney But what an engine, that V6, the supercharged 3-litre V6 engine, with that lovely crackling exhaust.
1: It sounded good. It doesn't sound like that Basso Profundo of a big V8. It has a little bit more of the not-quite-high tenor, but a little bit more of the refined racing engine sound of it. How did you react to that?
2: Yeah, very much a heritage sound, I think, David, and um, and, and delightful too. I, I really loved it. It's uh, it was old school and most appropriate for even the high-tech Jag F-type.
1: We remember the F-type with the supercharged V8, which is a lovely huge horsepower. They shoehorned that into an F-Pace SUV. Is that enough horsepower for you?
2: Only just, David, only just. Look, I really think 405 kilowatts and a supercharged 5-litre V8 is probably just enough and particularly good for the school run in the morning.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We followed someone and actually went on the wrong road and went down a freeway and had to do a U-turn and then get into the other direction of traffic. Is that where it came into its own?
2: I can report that you managed to get the F-Pace to accelerate to the permitted maximum speed limit of 110 (laughs) kilometres an hour in an alarmingly short period of time, David. It was quite quite an experience.
1: I love the F-Type, but maybe I'm getting old that I've really enjoyed having that much power and that in an SUV. It's a little bit like the SVR Range Rovers, which rear their head when you push the accelerator down and away they go with a whoosh. We met some interesting people there, including the couple who had a sports car and were thinking of looking perhaps even at a convertible F-type sports car, Jaguar, Yet, when they got in the iPACE, it was a remarkable car, being an electric vehicle. Did you enjoy driving the iPACE? It, and what was your first reflections on that?
2: My first time in an electric car, and a completely electric car, I thought it was pretty extraordinary, David, to go from the supercharged 5-litre F-Pace to the ipace, it, it was kind of, the 5 litre supercharged V8 was probably the end of the era, maybe, of that kind of, of motor. Mm. And the ipace pace uh, represents the start of the new era of electric cars and design, and what an extraordinary car it is.
1: The thing that the couple really reflected on was how wonderfully quiet it is, as is any electric car, but particularly if a luxury one, when you start out. It takes that sort of noise and excessive sort of aggressiveness out of it, even though it accelerates well. The acceleration on these things is no slouch. It's certainly capable.
2: It had a tremendous urge right from the word go, and uh, acceleration seemed really, really quite tremendous. For such a heavy car, too, a touch over two tonnes is... uh, a lot of car to, to move so quickly and accelerate so smoothly and in silence and wonderful uh, comfort as well.
1: It's not perhaps quite the handling and sporty car, although the performance in a straight line is there, but nonetheless it represents, as you say, the new direction to go to it. There were some lovely people that we met while we were there.
2: Yeah, certainly a lovely cross-section of of Jaguar customers, from older couples to um, uh, younger couples. They were a really nice group of people.
1: And the older couple who knew Frank Gardner when he was alive, great racing driver from Australia, but also, of course, there were those that felt that the electric car wasn't in the style of... I suppose the Roaring Twenties almost, isn't it? That, that notion of really feeling and interacting with a car that needs a gearbox and produces plenty of sound. Dean, thank you for your reflections and I trust you had an enjoyable day and one that will go down in memory for you.
2: Very much so, David, and thank you very much to the Jaguar people. It was a wonderful experience.
1: Dean Oliver, our resident artist, where we went on the Concorde, Jaguar and Land Rover dealerships drive day for people who have a passion for Jaguar or who might develop a more closer affinity with the brand. You're listening to Overdrive. Volkswagen Touareg was originally launched some 10 years ago and was a little long in the tooth of late lagging the competition. But Volkswagen has launched an all-new version and Rob Fraser
3: spent some time in one. The latest model Tourag is a major improvement and my first impressions were overwhelmingly favourable. Initially available as one model, the launch edition, the Tourag is set to shake up the dwindling yet very competitive prestige SUV market. Sharing a number of components and the same platform as the Audi Q7, Porsche Cayenne, Lamborghini Urus and the Bentley Bentayga, the Tourag is the most technically advanced Volkswagen model so far. It is absolutely packed with Comfort, luxury and safety features. Clever buyers will benefit from a saving of anywhere between twenty dollars to over $35,000 and get a vehicle equal to the more prestige brands and the smug self-satisfaction knowing that you could have an overseas holiday from the money you saved. You're listening to Overdrive.
1: Sports cars are often used in movies, and some become iconic, being indelibly attached to movies and characters. David Brown's sports car this week reminded him of a movie car that, while it was in a popular movie, it wasn't central to the character. The 1995 James Bond movie, GoldenEye, was the first for Pierce Brosnan, and the first time 007's regular car was not British. It was a BMW Z3 Roadster. A long droopy nose and a bland stubby tail it looked rather wishy-washy the car that is it was on screen for a total of less than two minutes but the movie worked for bmw who released the car the next year and sold a lot BMW's latest is the Z4, which is the 6th generation Z sports car. It's much better. Low, wide and with distinctive lines and features, such as shark grills just behind the front wheels. From about $85,000 to $125,000, plus on roads, I was proud to be seen in it.
3: This is Overdrive across Australia.
1: Audi has been struggling a bit in the market its sales have not uh, been going well compared to previous years but they're still out there launching new product and rod fraser has been to one of those launches he joins us on the line now g'day rob david how are you
3: very well what did you test i've just come back from the launch of the latest q3 q means it's an suv yeah it's their their suv range and it used to be the entry level until a couple of years ago when they launched the q2 very much aimed at the urban activity person so the Q3 has been seven years now since its last model this is a second generation all new and it needs to be because the market's changed an awful lot in seven years in what way I think the amount of people who are buying SUVs these days is exponentially growing their expectations much more than they used to be in terms of what they're going to get from the vehicle. And there's a lot more competition out there from not only the premier brands, the European brands, but some of the Japanese brands as well are producing some pretty good product.
1: And the Korean? Uh, Absolutely, yes. They're producing cars for under $50,000 with heated seats and air-conditioned seats and so on. So a luxury brand like Audi has to struggle, I guess, a little in the market Is it look? a little bit more aggressive because that's what they were doing with some of their other models. How would
3: you describe the exterior changes to this? It definitely has the familial look. You know, you can tell that it's in the Q family. It's a little bit more aggressive. It's a little bit more angular. It's, it looks pretty good, actually. It's not quite as edgy as the Q2. It's toned down just a little bit, but it's aimed at a slightly different market as well. It's aimed at the the younger family, you know, with the first-time baby, or the empty nesters, or as the Germans call it, the best lifers, the best stage of their life. (laughs) The Q2,
1: I thought, was a bit more angular and more stylish. No, more making a statement with its style. This has to be... Just a tad more
3: conservative to fit a broader market? It does, and it is. It still has a lot of edge to it, and it almost looks like a, a mini Q8, if you like. Ah, now the Q8, it got that a lower,
1: wider look rather than a taller, gawky look of a station wagon.
3: Uh, what, what are we talking about in terms of price? Well, initially it's launched in two versions – a front-wheel drive version, which is the only one that comes in, front-wheel drive with one engine, a 1.4-litre TFSI engine, producing about 110 kilowatts and 250 newton metres, and it runs through a six-speed DSG box. It's reasonable performance and very economical. So there's two versions. There's a, the standard version and a special launch edition, which has a lot more bling and option packs attached as standard. Because the option packs can be
1: expensive
3: for our discount though. They can, although I think compared to some of the other manufacturers, they've done a good job of bundling them up into option packs that are a reasonable value for money if you compare them to what you would buy them individually. And for the most part they're things that fit well together and people would take. But did we get a price? The entry level or the the base model comes in at around about forty six, forty seven thousand plus the usual costs. The launch edition is about just under 53000 but it's got a lot more value in it. And also it's a lot more styled in terms of the exterior. You know, it's got like a black grille and, you know, larger wheels or black wheels, that type of stuff. Looks very smick. The
1: accentuation of design features, is becoming more prominent. I think even down to something like the Hyundai Venue that came out the other day. The top of the range model can give you a two-tone paint system, a different tone roof, and highlights around. It used to be a badge on the back. Is this a trend to try and make your upmarket versions look more special? Look, I think so.
3: Probably, I would say more as you mentioned in that that size the Hyundai Venue, where it's more aimed at that urban buyer that wants to differentiate themselves, wants to individualise their vehicle. I don't know that you can actually, but it is slightly more conservatively styled, even than the Q2, and I think growing a little bit as well positions it a little bit into a slightly different market to the Q2 as well.
1: Well, size becomes a little more important, particularly here, doesn't it? Because you are aiming for those who might even be thinking about having children, as well as maturing a little bit
3: into wanting a bit of space and room? Oh, very much so. I think, as I said, at the moment it comes in front-wheel drive only. They've got a three-tiered launch program for 2020 with you know, larger engines and also a hot version and a quattro version, which is what I'm looking forward to. All hero cars for a particular model.
1: Yes. Rob, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, David. That's Rob Fraser, and we were talking about the Audi Q3 launch. Q meaning it's an SUV, three meaning it's in the sort of small-medium size of vehicle, and, of course, it is part of that booming SUV market. This is Overdrive across Australia. And back again for some quirky news, and as always, well not always, but as often as we possibly can, we have Brian Smith on the lane. Go, Brian. G'day, David. Now, Brian, in uh, local areas, sometimes cars get parked and left. There is a story of a Cadillac which has just been moved. It has been parked and um, rotting for 25 years. Is, does that reflect a slow community, or...? a joy in seeing things as they
0: are. Ah, this is a fascinating multifaceted story, this one, David, because this car was parked on the street in New York, not far from the the heart of New York City, and in a place where competition for parking space is incredibly high. So this, this car filled with rubbish, right, so it's filled with empty coffee cups and the like, it's kind of covered in a patina of rust, has sat on this street in this neighbourhood for 25 years. It's a 1971 car, so it's also been around for longer than that. It seems like the owner died or or something, but this thing was never towed away. And, And the community sort of had two different views about it. So some people thought, look, it's a local landmark, and they were quite upset that it was finally towed. But other people made, said it made them feel uncomfortable or unsafe, this this kind of run-down car sitting there. It's fascinating that, you know, not only that people tolerated this valuable car parking space being taken up for so long, but that they saw it as some kind of um, icon of their community. As you
1: say, people get so used to something. There's, there's that element, of course, in the movie The Lady in the Van. Hmm an eyesore starts there but it's our eyesore yeah yeah it's a cadillac of course so there's that reflection and perhaps it's symbolic of america it's a fantastically luxury car yeah. but it's been sitting still for 25 years
0: yeah and i, th- but I think the whole story reflects fascinating in a fascinating way on on the complicated relationship that we have with cars and how how we sort of promote them as a kind of an icon or a, or a, a representation of ourselves and that therefore we, we kind of humanise them or, or value them in a way that's greater than just uh, a means of moving around. People have used it as a garbage bin mm. haven't they? Yes they just chuck things in it so I guess the windows are down or something but you know, it's, it's filled with garbage and old newspapers and water bottles.
1: Well, surely there must be rats or something in there.
0: Yes, exactly, David. I, got, I got see plenty of reasons to pull it pull it away, but to think that it was tolerated being parked there, like people in our street, you know, get nervous or upset when commuters park on curbside spaces. They believe that they own the space outside their house. And and New York is, is um, legendary for people... I guess, fighting each other for car parking spaces or protecting spaces or even, you know, bragging about the car parking space that they got. Well, you know, there's an extra space available now in this uh, uh, New York neighbourhood. I wonder, maybe someone will just push a trailer there and leave it or a boat or a caravan.
1: <laughs> can I correct you? You said there's a space available. It's a 1971
0: Cadillac. There's two spaces. Two spaces, <laughs> that's right. Or you could fit a 70s Volvo in with a huge bumper bar.
1: And that was Brian Smith, and we were talking more unusual stories about motoring and transport here on Overdrive. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to the Overdrive team, including Brian Smith, Rob Fraser, Dean Oliver and Paul Just for making this show possible. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au and previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. And of course, there's our Facebook page, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.